So hello and welcome to the New Gig Podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Hodgson. And today I'm delighted to be joined by talent advisor, gig programs at Coke Industries, Preston Mossman. How are you doing, Preston? Best day of my life. Happy to be here. <laughs> oh, wow. It's all going to be downhill from here. We're, we're, we're over, over-egging the expectations, but gr- great to hear it. But we'll make it happen, Glenn. We're going to make it happen. So Preston, let's kick off by just giving a little bit of a background and overview of uh, Coke Industries and, of course, your experience and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So uh, Coke Industries, for the European listeners who may not be familiar with this, yeah. a whole lot of our brand, um, we're, uh, we've got a variety of portfolio companies spanning everything from uh, industrial companies that uh, make uh, chemicals and plastics and refine uh, paper or pulp into paper products yeah. all the way to software uh, and analytics. So we recently uh, acquired a firm called Infor, but in parallel, we've also a lot of our companies that were traditionally uh, industrial companies have been yeah. expanding into the software and services world. So pretty diverse array of operations across about 13 different subsidiaries yeah. and uh, really a, a global presence. We have about 130,000 employees. Yeah. So that is a serious size organization. And it's really going to be very interesting to hear from you because, you know, a real big player who is actually getting into this whole thing we're calling the platform economy, freelance economy, and actually developing a freelancer strategy. Can you talk a little bit about this, Preston? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have uh, about two and a half years ago, we signed our first agreement with a major platform and have slowly started to uh, invest over time. And so what that's looked like is we started with uh, one platform and we really focused on specific platforms where yeah. we can go and they manage uh, a lot of the overhead or activities for us. So the matchmaking, the billing, uh, some sort of reputation system, et cetera. But what we've tried to do is take the approach to uh, really not necessarily start with a specific category and say, how can we cut costs down on that uh, or take a reductive approach, but really look uh, across our different operations uh, make uh, make our employees aware of what's now available to them and see what can they do today that they could do yesterday. So yeah. that's been our strategy uh, and it, it's working pretty well. The program's growing and what we're finding is there's just uh, a whole lot we can do mm. today with freelance talent that we couldn't do yesterday. Mm. And tell us a little bit more about that because obviously this this is quite a new thing for a lot of organizations you know how can we actually go through hr and compliance and make sure that these people who aren't uh full-time employees but we can get the impact and get the services and the uh the the delivery from these individuals how how have you got about sort of setting that up yeah the first thing we did was experiment so in in this case this was uh me i was actually in i have a finance background and then yeah. I was in IT and I, I had a problem at the time was yeah. which was I had for development resources who worked for us and I'd give them too much to do and I had a new project and I <laughs> came to those resources and I said 
uh, hey, how long is this going to take? And, and you know, what they said to me was, hey, we could do it in two weeks if you would stop piling so much stuff on us. And so <laughs> we knew that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so what we did is we actually partnered together and we leveraged uh, a platform. And I, at the time I put it on my P card. Yeah. And uh, it went really well. We found somebody uh, in Europe who could actually solve the problem for us. And we were really impressed. And uh, from there we started and we, you know, initially we had taken a look from a compliance perspective and said, how can we do this in a way that's low risk? But what that meant is we really limited the scope because Mm -hmm. we just didn't have a lot of knowledge at the time. So from there, uh, we then brought in all the compliance stakeholders and made a bet that this was going to be valuable to uh, the future of our company. And so really brought in all the people uh, that could help advise us on co-employment, trade, sanctions, just all those different areas that are really built into how we operate. Um, And uh, then started to dedicate resources. And I was the one that came over and just made sure that as people had uh, in the business, and again, didn't target any specific area, but primarily focused on knowledge work that can be done remotely, just made sure they had a touch point who could actually walk them through uh, what types of problems make sense to solve, how does work need to be broken down, et cetera, et cetera, but try to make it really hands-on experience so we could get them up to speed, do as much hand-holding as was needed, and then uh, set them down the path. So that started with one platform. And then what, what we found over time is there's, uh, there's general purpose platforms out there that can help you do a variety of tasks, but then there's specific niche players. So we've started to expand where we've noticed gaps into some of the more niche platforms and have just, as it makes sense on a value basis, expanded our portfolio. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that that sounds absolutely brilliant. I think you touched on two really interesting points within that. One thing is that, you know, that you, you sometimes hear in the media, this idea of algorithms deciding everything but this is clearly there's a human face there. There's the the human interaction that is needed to be able to 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 ensure that uh, uh, the the talent that's uh, recruited is looked after, knows what it's doing, and can actually deliver the uh, the right job. And the and, and the second piece I'd like you to talk a little bit more about is this the element that you know again we hear the negativity that this is killing jobs. It's uh, it, it, it's the end of the, uh, uh, the the work place and the work environment as we see it. Well, the, the reality from a Coke Industries perspective is actually you're giving people work because the existing talent, the existing employees, uh, uh, they don't have capacity. So you're actually creating more work uh, through this, uh, th- this new use of freelancers. Yeah, I, I would say what I've seen, it's, it's different for every, I suspect it's different for every company. And you really have to look segment by segment mm. um, and see how this has played out. I can just say, For us, what it's meant is uh, most of the work we do is net new. So it's work that would otherwise not be done. Um, Perfect example would be in the research and or the R&D space. We've got, uh, you know, when we need, when we have an idea about a new product, uh, typically we'll either do that in-house, which means uh, we're always 
force ranking ideas and there's yeah. a certain cutoff based on mm -hmm. opportunity cost where we say, hey, that seems like it might be valuable, but we're not going to explore that. We're going to explore the highest value yeah. alternative. And that, that's traditionally how businesses have operated. Or yeah. uh, we might go to a firm and uh, the firm has a similar process where they're only going to take on the highest value opportunities relative to their portfolio. Mm. Yeah. Um, what we what we found is there's all these individuals out there uh, who who can actually help us. And what that means is they don't have the overhead, so they can ship essentially shift the marginal cost down, which allows mm. us to pursue more opportunities. But because they don't have the large overhead and because they don't have incentives to assign a whole team to the problem, they're yeah. actually taking home more than they otherwise would be too. And so right. these are mutually be yeah. beneficial engagements. Yeah. And that's just allowed us to pursue things we wouldn't have otherwise pursued. It's also allowed us to accelerate projects. So uh, I think the traditional procurement model uh, or the traditional economic model, the easiest one certainly conceptually is to just look at what are the top line costs we can avoid through using programs like this. Uh, but the reality is I, I think where the value has been for us is looking at uh, opportunities and then saying, how can we get those to market quicker? May yeah. not actually be the cheapest outcome, mm. but it's, mm. it's the one that creates the most value for us. So that's where we've really focused. Uh, we haven't really focused on like, again, looking at a category and trying to squeeze margin out of it. Yeah. I see. So everyone's winning. Basically, people are getting more money. Uh, there's more efficiencies and you're actually able to do more as an organization. It's been a good formula. And I, I just think mm. there's so much opportunity out there uh, and so many things that companies are missing out on today. Yeah. And, and what would you say the big barriers are? Why, why isn't uh, more enlightened companies, why aren't they sort of chasing after this and actually integrating this into their, into their business model, Preston? I think some are kind of tiptoeing into it, but yeah. I would say the biggest barrier is a lack of imagination right? and uh, yeah. lack of imagination and specifically around how can we approach problems differently? I think mm. a, uh, a misunderstanding of risks. So Often what happens is we look at, and actually this is the way we started. We, when we first started, we looked at the lowest risk types of activities we possibly could. And so those were types of activities where we could, uh, we could hand off work. Yeah. We didn't have to give anybody access to our network, which is still our bias. Yeah. Um, and there was no, IP involved, if mm. it got, uh, we did the Twitter test. So if it got posted on Twitter, <laughs> nobody was going to be surprised, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. That's really where we started um, because we, we had a certain internal stigma around, you know, these are uh, just people off the street. We don't know who they are. Yeah. They don't have the backing of a big firm, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's really present uh, still, especially for, for large enterprises, especially maybe less so for the more scrappy startups and smaller yeah. firms, but certainly for uh, large firms. So I, I think that's a disincentive and then also just knowledge of how to use these programs. So what we've seen, again, this is specific to our model, but what we've seen is a lot of the people who are using 
these, we call them gig services, which I know is like a pejorative, uh, but we can call them platform services for the sake of this conversation. Raw. It's not going to offend go. my ears. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what we find is most of the people using these services today, so these are our internal customers, we're not customers of the uh traditional firms we typically do business with. So these are individuals who this is their first time contracting. Uh, This is their first time potentially writing a a check or uh, paying a third party money, et cetera, et cetera. And so where we really have to start with them is uh, with compliance, getting them up to speed around what works, what doesn't. Uh, And I, I think that's probably going to be true for a lot of other firms. So there's a big education piece. And then those same individuals, you have to also help understand how do you break down problems into into ways that another third party can help us because a lot of our internal processes today are built around um, everything being, you know, behind the walls, everybody having context to how the company operates, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. When, when we work with these third parties, a lot of times they don't have that knowledge, but what they do have uh, that's potentially s- superior to ours is a comparative advantage given a specific skill set. So yeah. figuring out how to take advantage of that, um, there's, there's a definite learning curve to that. Mm. Um, I would say education is probably the biggest piece. And then uh, education. Next, is, yeah. next is also... Uh, which niches to explore because depending on the problem you're trying to solve, there may be another platform that you need to explore or you may need to work with independent individuals. Yeah. Yeah. To get the right talent, to be able to add the impact and the value that the organization's looking to. And if you put your sort of hat on and you were speaking to politicians and decision makers from a, from a regulatory and a, and a policy perspective, Preston, what would you be give them in terms of advice about what they should be doing or what should they not be doing to be able to harness the, uh, the, the power of this sector and the availability of talent? I'm a political neophyte, so I'd probably use uh, small words. But what yeah. I would say is generally to not, not treat it as a zero-sum game right? and uh, yeah. really really think about the different segments. So a lot of the conversations that are happening today really revolve around, uh, you know, people providing mobility or people Mm. with pizzas on the back of their scooter. Um, Those are still valuable constituencies, but there's all these other people out there who have the potential to earn much higher income through these platforms than they do through traditional uh, employment and just to make sure we've got an approach that works for them as well and also unlocks the potential and can unlock efficiencies within our economy. Yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. And, and given the fact that sort of this is almost like people power, it's consumer led at the moment that more and more people have got a taste of sort of remote working and more flexibility given the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, that this is kind of caught on. And I know where you're sat in the US, this is a much bigger trend than it is here in Europe so far, uh, but it's something that's uh, been set in train and probably is not going to uh, uh, go back anytime soon. So we're just at the start of something big that's happening and Coke Industries are really at the forefront of this. Yeah, we're really excited about it. 
Excellent. Well, Preston, it's been great to speak to you and look forward to having you on the, the show again later where we can revisit what's happening, how far we've come and what's coming up next. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Glenn. Pleasure.